Welcome to the Plan C Podcast. Welcome to the Plan C Podcast with your host, me, Dave Lester. And I'm Neil Gibb, and today we're talking to Richard James from the Nationwide Building Society. And uh, I think a great place to start, Richard, is um, uh, we just talked about your job title, and you are the Ways of Working Enablement Leader. And I think this is a great lead into what we'd like to talk to you about. So uh, tell us a little bit about what that is. Hey, sure. Um, so Richard James, really, really pleased to be here. Thank you, both Dave and Neil, for the invite to come along and talk. Um, yeah, why not start with the title that the the job I do for Nationwide um, r- relates to um, so the, the enabling rather than the directing, which is why we put um, enablement into the title. So I'm not attempting to, to enforce a way of working across the society. This is by no means a sort of you know, orchestrated, this is how we do work, rather this is um, enablement. And so this is essentially a kind of cultural role um, that reflects um, sort of emergent interest in practices coming from from sort of lean or agile areas, um, and also reflects probably a kind of macroeconomic global environment being less and less certain, and the need for a bit more flexibility, emergent thinking. So my role at Nationwide as Ways of Working Enablement Leader um, is to help enable a cultural shift to one where the organization at all levels at teams and at senior leadership are much more comfortable um, in this incredibly uncertain environment we now all live and work in right well and and let me create a bit of wider context for people listening especially those that don't know what nationwide uh, is so then we can look at you know what you're up to in that so you know nationwide is um it's the largest building society in the world for a lot of people that don't know what that is, uh, it can look like a retail bank and in a way it acts like a retail bank. Uh, the main difference is uh, it's member-owned and member-run, so it doesn't have any shareholders. And uh, why I was interested in um, talking to you particularly is, you know, Nationwide traditionally was a fairly conservative place, like a lot of financial institutions. Um, and you've been on a journey from the last few years of transformation. Now, that word gets used a lot, but, you know, what I can see is you were really – set out to and are managing to transform the culture. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your part in that and how it's going? Sure. Um, so I, it's a real privilege, actually, to work for a member-owned organization. Um, it's a privilege because you know that decisions are being made in the interests of 16 million members. So one in five mortgages in the UK come to Nationwide, and we have 16 million members across kind of current accounts, credit cards, savings accounts, mortgages. Um, and the thing about being member-owned or a mutual organization is that you can be certain that for the vast majority of people working here, there is a shared purpose. There is a really clear alignment to supporting and serving the member base. Um, and do you know what? The, the, the kind of therefore my reflection on, on our evolution, I'm, I'm personally moving from sort of the word transformation, which sort of seems to be to me to reflect a kind of discrete piece of work that has maybe a beginning, middle and end. Um, from my perspective, we're, we're, we're in a sort of an evolutionary, um, accelerated evolutionary period, but, but certainly something where, where we will continue to evolve, reflecting actually that the world around us, the needs of our members, the expectations of our members requires more flexibility, requires us to be more comfortable 
with the uncertainties and being able to support members who themselves are um, you know, living through increasingly uncertain times. So in some ways, our journey over the last few years reflects the needs of our 16 million members, reflects the needs of society. Um, yes, definitely reflects the kind of competitive landscape around us, but actually we're not changing as a result of competitor expectation. We're, we're changing as a result of member need and member expectation. Our customer base drives the need for a cultural change. And can you just paint a little bit of picture of um, of what that that change looks like in terms of you know where you were and where you're getting to? Because as far as I can see, the wonderful thing about culture is everyone knows what it means, and to some extent, no one knows what it means. And uh, and the other thing about cultures is they're phenomenally resistant to change. So I mean, I'm curious about the journey you've been on. Yeah. Um, uh, so as you say, the the nationwide um, it's 130 odd years old. Um, and you think of then about the organizational structures, the um, I don't know, almost like the calcification, the, the scaling in, in the sense of kind of kettle scaling that happens. So our organization has been built over more than 100 years and, and um, mergers and, and, and general sort of reflecting of the times and periods that, 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 that the organization has served its members in. And probably the most recent incarnation in a period of actually relative stability has been that we've developed um, sort of fairly structured, fairly bureaucratic, um, sizable organization where managing instability was well suited to a traditional structure of hierarchy, silos, um, and the management of of particularly change being run through um, projects. And ostensibly then the organization as a set of vertical silos, um, hierarchical, structured under directors, um, absolutely um, managing in periods of stability, great scale, and um, you know, in that stable period, relatively um, incremental improvements in divisional performance, and that suited the environment well. And, and actually, organisationally, coming through the last financial crisis and coming through to today, there's sort of traditional structured siloed organizational approach with projects to navigate when change occurred worked well. Um, what we have found and are finding increasingly and much more accelerated in this sort of in this very strange COVID world we live in is the need for more um, rapidity, more flexibility, more adaption, um, much shorter horizons on what might be classed as sort of strategic strategic goals and strategic horizons. So, so you're sort of necessarily then you're shifting away from large monolithic pieces of programmatic delivery through to much more um, emergent product-centric ways of tackling change. And then almost by necessity then, if you're tackling emergence in in sort of more of a product-centric rather than project-centric approach, you're then tackling a combination of kind of lean and agile practices and principles. You start to think about DevOps, you start to think about um, all the way into sort of beyond DevOps and technology into site reliability, engineering, observability. And, and actually what, what, what we're seeing now over the last six months and definitely going forwards into the coming period um, is almost a pivot, 90-degree pivot within the organization from being divisionally, functionally, vertically aligned into something where we've launched now what we call our member missions, which are much more aligned to those core kind of journeys and propositional engagements that our members would have. So we've gone from... Um, vertical divisions through to horizontal missions 
we haven't lost the divisions, but what we are now attempting to do is that kind of um, reflection that, that, that colleagues working in missions respect the mastery of their discipline, mastery of their, of their what we would class as their community, but serve a common purpose relating to their mission. And then the role that I play, if you think about the Holy Trinity then of um, autonomy, mastery and purpose, um, if your mastery comes from that technical discipline of your community, if your purpose is aligned to your mission, the role that I play and my team plays is then in providing the environment of autonomy, providing that confidence with experimentation, providing um, the support for colleagues to, to almost unshackle imagination and innovation, to, to be more comfortable with the emergence around us and to be more able to deal technically in terms of technical disciplines with um, how best to iterate thinking rapidly, how best to emerge product, how best to test with customer, how best to um, work with the idea of kind of early adopters, early majority, late majority, and it's sort of a whole set of new language that, that then almost actuate to a new way of thinking. So we are very definitely then kind of taking on board reflections and learnings from others in the industry and, and, and um, sort of thinking that has emerged in, in the Lean, Agile and DevOps worlds and applying that in our context to help us become um, more adaptive, more flexible. So that sounds like a, like an you know, incredible journey and, and you make it sound quite smooth. Um, but, you know, what I've, I've seen often in organizations is you take a, a, an organization that's been I mean, risk averse sounds like a, an insult, but, you know, it, it, it's a low risk culture. Uh, and you want to introduce experimentation into it. It's a bit like people say, innovate and experiment, but don't make mistakes, you know. And so there's often a fear of getting it wrong, a fear of getting into trouble. So how have you, how have you managed to shift or create a culture where people have the freedom and safety to actually take responsible risks and experiment? So, yeah, I mean, let, let, let's be really, really kind of open and transparent up front. That, you know, I am not saying for a second that, that Nationwide has solved this stuff. What, I, what I'm... What I would suggest is that, that, that there's an increasing kind of, again, back, back to that Simon Sinek concept of early adopters and early majority, late majority. Um, we, we definitely now have not just those pioneering early adopters, but we, we've, we've emerged into more of an early adopter, almost now starting to, to, to look up the, the sort of the S-curve towards late majority um, with, again, the kind of behaviors and culture that respects careful experimentation respects very scientific method-based very hypothesis-led experimentation and i think um what what i observe now and and the teams that i'm predominantly helping they, they would i would class them as your kind of early adopter teams or, or maybe now increasingly your early adopter and early majority teams so we're talking less than 20 percent of the general population within nationwide colleague base but those influential um pioneering leaders who who are prepared to try something new um the the experimentation itself actually from my perspective is an incredibly useful risk mitigation approach um what what i would say is that in periods of stability um that kind of fairly deterministic upfront planning approach um and not to get too geeky but if you start thinking about kniff and and complicated zone you can do a lot of upfront analysis you can plan your way through it you can determine with high degrees of confidence that if you put in enough effort upfront you can run two years worth of work and land it if not on a dime then you can land it to within plus minus tolerance on time and cost and scope in an environment where 
so much is is now uncertain in an environment where there's so little that is anchored um actually you almost your management of risk becomes through experimentation because there's so little certainty around you you can't put planning horizons out in the two-year category it, it, it doesn't doesn't fit anymore we don't know what's going to happen in three weeks that only in two three years so necessarily almost to manage the risk experimentation scientific experimentation with hypotheses with leading and lagging indicators with upfront contracting around the experimentation is a risk mitigant because what you're doing is you're bounding both in terms of time maybe in terms of customers or members maybe in terms of financial outlay you're bounding something that you're trying to change and you're almost seeking um, input from those colleagues who are less confident, who, who have um, typically very worthy, very well-considered points of view from a, um, you know, these are the risks. Okay, well then let's construct that into the experiment. For the definition of ready, what do we need to feel confident we can, we can commence with so that we can commence with confidence of safety? And in the definition of done, what are the leading and lagging indicators? What are the conditions? And how do we not bet the farm on this experiment? How do we shrink the work so that safe experimentation becomes the way in which actually for our risk function is the way they see progressive incremental um, management of risk? Richard, interesting. Um, just looking at this from a slightly different perspective in terms of you've got uh, members, 16 million members. You've obviously got a large number of employees as well. What, what's, what's the actual employee base for Nationwide, roughly? Uh, so sometime, somewhere between seventeen and 18,000. Remembering again, so this is UK retail um, yeah. banking sector, um, seventeen to 18,000, of which about 6,000, I think, are branch, branch-based um, frontline employees working in branches across the nation. And how many of them would be also members? Huh. I don't know the stats there, but but I mean certainly I, I am a, a multi multi member, um, and I think it's there's no incentivization. You know I, that is no longer a thing in, in regulated retail financial services, but mm. there's genuine alignment between the again the beliefs of the organisation in terms of how we put ourselves out above the line with the sort of strap lines for building society nationwide, and actually colleagues do believe in that. So I would think there would be a very high percentage of colleagues who were members, where members can mean current accounts, can mean savings accounts, can mean mortgage accounts. Um, I would imagine a very high correlation. Yeah, I would as well. And, and the reason I'm going down that route was um, just listening to you sort of talking, um, and particularly with, you know, there's a large population base of employees or you know, within Nationwide that you said are those early adopters. To become early adopters, they've got to be feeling a fairly large psychological safety net around them either from leadership above them the whole organization and i took it you know how important that is for change and, and to be comfortable to voice your opinions to bring those risks up and i think quite often at least in my experience of organizations where we don't necessarily have great psychological safety because there isn't so much purpose and so much buy-in um, that perhaps you have in nationwide which i think is quite a unique thing um, that ability to to talk candidly about risks doesn't happen um, are you finding that that's a sort of, given the last 12 months or so and the uncertainty that's come in, the fact that you were already starting to create these kind of psychological safety nets has been an advantage? It's, um, yeah, this area of psychological safety is not 
just foundational but fundamental. Um, and I tell you what, like, as an individual, I am really enjoying almost the kind of every day is a school day of, of these last few years. So as a, as a phrase, as a term, psychological safety um, is now pretty commonplace within Nationwide. And even the fact that that, that that phrase, psychological safety, you know, it's for me, it's indicative of an organization that, that that probably has an appreciation of the need for something is that that actually that type of phraseology. And we have copies of, of Amy's book um, that, that we share and we've created a book club around, for example, to, to, to talk about our own experiences. Um, so I, I, I do think a recognition of the importance of psychological safety, a very clear alignment to an organizational purpose, and um, a genuine kind of respect within the colleague, within the colleague divisions, and now particularly emissions, a, a very clear respect for the fact that actually with a shared purpose, with a, with, a, with a really strong belief in being here to serve 16 million members, that does provide a base level of safety, you know, more so than, than in, uh, again, not, not to go too theory, but, but if you go into those sort of Western models, you, yes, it's a bureaucratic organization. It, it's not a fulsome kind of generative organization where, where experimentation and innovation is, is, is at the sort of, that, that's, that's the way forward. But, but it's not pathological by any sense. It's, it's not true to say that, that um, in Nationwide, um, you, you um, succeed at the expense of anyone else. It is very much something where, as a, as a group of colleagues, you succeed by making sure you do the right thing for members and making sure that the decisions you take and the way in which you make those decisions reality are in the best interest of members. And, and I think the, the kind of decision-making horizons have, have become shorter um and actually the, the the manner and the techniques in which we then affect change respect the, the the shorter horizons and and yeah the safety therefore is needed because to feel able to experiment to feel able to um test learn and adapt needs a confidence in colleagues needs a confidence in purpose and needs a sort of a, a genuine belief in in why you're here to serve the member base so if I could just start actually shift the emphasis slightly from from what you were talking about, which is internal to the last word you used there, the member base. You know, you talked about 16 million people, uh, 16 million members. And we were talking to uh, Emma Harvey a few weeks ago, who runs uh, the NHSX Innovation Lab. And one of her challenges is her user base is everybody. <laughs> and, uh, and you're not far away because um, I imagine, you know, it's adults that have um, that, that have your products. Uh, you probably have a product in a household where there's more than one people. So you're representing you know, a vast amount of the population, which is incredibly diverse. So how do you um, manage to um, you know, understand and you know, have empathy for and insight into such a broad group of people? So to ensure that your products are delivering on all your members' needs. So I I mean, I think that's an area that can always be improved, ultimately. Um, but if you think Nationwide um, it, it is a really strong trusted brand um, and is a trusted brand for the right reasons as well. It's not a trusted brand because of a lot of investment in, in, in sort of 
above the line marketing, it's a trusted brand because actually our frontline colleagues in both our branches and our contact centers go out of their way every day. And in this year alone, you know, this year, incredibly trying circumstances to be there for our members. And again, they, they really mean it. They are the most innovative. They are the most creative problem solving. Uh, and um, you know, to, 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 to be able to have direct access to customers in the way that, that we can with the branch and the contact center in these times, um, it really drives member or customer centricity because you have the direct access. You, you, we, we, we know and we feel the lives of our members. They engage with us directly. Um, and the digital channels, you know, obviously this year we've seen massive growth in digital adoption. We've seen you know, channel shift by necessity. But but I think there's still that kind of ethic of care that there, there, there is a genuine sense. And I, I come from the, the digital organization for the last couple of years, I was running Tech for Digital. Um, and, 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 you know, the goal in, in, in digital was to make sure that you could retain the essence of humanity, re- retain the very soul of Nationwide in those digital engagements and ultimately to, to drive the feedback. So getting back into kind of the techniques and, and, and um, some of the methods um, are practicing of three ways of DevOps. So making sure that decisions are made by virtue of customer feedback, making sure that we take a product-centric approach where we do actively seek to gain feedback from our members, um, whether that be directly on, on product launch or whether that be through surveys and whether that be through um you know, research and engagement on high streets or in our branches, we seek member feedback at all points. Um, and we are fortunate that our touch points with members, therefore, are many and varied um, across both kind of physical, face-to-face, mediated um, and, and digital channels. And I, there's a, a certain paradox to digitization, and I think a lot of uh, you know, there's certainly a paradox at the moment to it in that, um, you know, a lot of, um, say, e-commerce businesses or, or businesses have a strong e-commerce um, element are obviously doing really well and they're serving people in lockdown. However, the more you move to that, the less direct contact you have with actual human beings, you know. So uh, how are you going to maintain that as you become, like, invariably, like everybody, more and more of a digital organization? Yeah, it's... Um... We've just gone through a kind of strategy refresh, actually, um, and strategy refresh um, it, it is a regular thing. But but obviously, this year in particular reflects the environment we are we find ourselves in, um, and a really clear recognition that those digital channels and the engagement through um, you, through mobile, through web, through through actually through API, um, intermediated out into other people's um, spaces for distribution. You sort of you want to retain the essence. You you want to be absolutely sure that you retain a, a, a real member centricity and a real kind of um, you know, charm. Um, so we have you know, smaller scale. We, we have examples um, emerging of product and proposition development in the digital space. For example, something called RT, which is um, messaging and sort of sits there um, engaged. Um, on our web channels and uh, mobile with members. Um, and it's one of the sort of assisted um, AI, but then integrated back into to, to branch and contact center. Um, so you, you can do that kind of the transition from um, fairly 
functional support where it's required just to bring to life some of the product and policy features. But then as soon as you want that sort of human touch, we can absolutely then navigate you through to something that's more assisted ultimately to a branch-based colleague or a contact centre-based colleague who you would have been dealing with on the phone or in person. So we probably, our investment in technologies and the products and propositions we put effort into reflect a desire to make sure that the digital experience, the platform that sits around the digital experience connects really strongly into the very, very dutiful, caring loving colleagues that, that, that support our members directly and, and the key there for us will be to make sure that we can keep the connection between those frontline colleagues and our member base whilst also serving at a volume through the digital channels that that, that reflects the, the increasing need for people to be able to do things online. That's really interesting. I've never heard that before. I'm just thinking as you're talking. So you, I think what you're saying is rather than at the moment anyway, you know, AI replacing human beings, it's like AI doing the functional heavy lifting, if you like, but then pushing and funneling people to real people where that's needed. Yeah, and we're not alone in that. You know, that, that, that sort of um, how to make sure that, that you can serve the, 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 the needs of, of many, but respect the, the needs of the one at the same time. So, you know, things where um, automation, particularly um, the, the way in which now um, voice and messaging can, can come across as very human, very engaging, and can adapt really comfortably to, to messaging and, and, and different um, different verbal um, verbal approaches, etc. It's very clever and must be leveraged. But you know what? The, the opportunity to connect that into the human and to and to then seamlessly bridge to actually somebody who who wants to serve members who 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 genuinely comes into the office or the contact center or a branch um, to improve the lives of our members um, and making sure that you can you know, do that in a, in a mindful way, making sure that, that if the, the response is something that can be provided in an automated fashion with, with, with language and, and a sort of the culture of the bot still needs to reflect the culture of the organization. So that training that you see people do now with um, training of bots for language and, and training of bots to make sure that, that, that they respect the culture of the organization they belong to, but recognizing that the handover to, to um, humans to deal with those those things where members actually need access to our people. That, that's the trick. And, and, and yeah, it will be one where we will learn by doing. But I think actually from, from my context, sitting historically in the digital technology part of the organization and now in this ways of working enablement space, I love that kind of intersection between the technology that you can bring to bear in service of members, but retaining that sense of humanity and, and member centricity and then the experimentation confidence to experiment with these things in a way that we're doing it in service of members um but also you know respecting sort of commerciality and, and sort of structure of the business richard we're sort of getting close to the end of our, our half an hour podcast we'd like to keep it around that probably to to sort of summarize i guess um from you or get you to summarize for us what do you think of your key learnings this year particularly given all the circumstances that have uh, come our way in 2020 um that has really maybe even accelerated the the movement within within the organization within the members to move towards that digital type platform yeah i, I think it's i think it's it's obviously true and yeah, I can I could give the stats, but 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 it's the same stats as for for, for all organisations. We have seen a shift to digital channels by necessity. 
the ability to retain in your digital channels the sense of warmth and the sense of engagement and the sense of um, support and, and love and respect for members is, is the challenge ahead. The thing I found most fascinating actually about this last of, let's say, nine months um, has been the extent to which actually we accelerate um, based on psychological safety, David, as you, you called out earlier on, the ability to experiment, the ability to focus on um, how best to serve members, even with the level of uncertainty around us, um, both organization and obviously at macro level economics and, and sort of globally. Um, the thing that I have been focused on personally with my team is on making sure that we have an environment in which actually the lack of certainty around us doesn't cause us to freeze, doesn't cause us to effectively actually add risk by not being able to, to, to take a next step um, with so few anchors nowadays, the ability to make the next, the next step to reduce risk, to be there for your members, to improve the service you offer, to, to focus on efficiency, to focus on digital and human um, with so little certainty the culture of safety, the culture of experimentation, the culture of confidence and almost thriving in the uncertainty um, is the thing that I'm I'm personally very focused on for the organisation. And it's the one that, that I think will set apart um, you know, leads and laggards over the next period will be that ability to thrive in the uncertainty rather than to manage instability. Well, thank you, Richard. That, that was, uh, we've come to the end of our half an hour, and uh, I seem to say this every week. It just feels like we just started the conversation rather than come to an end, but um, we better end it there. So uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Much appreciated. Really nice to see you, gents. Thanks for listening. Please leave us your comments, and remember to subscribe to the Plan C podcast with Neil Gibb and Dave Lester.